Luke 9, 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Zim McCauley. I'm one of the ordinance here, which just means that I'm training uh, to be, for ordination to be a vicar at some point in the Church of England. But um, we're going to come to God's word this morning. So let me pray for us before we have a look at what God has to say to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through it. Thank you that these are the very words of God, not just the mere words of men. And we ask that that would be our experience this morning, that you would help us to see Jesus Christ clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, recently I've been enjoying reading a, a fiction novel. Uh, it's called Anna Karenina. I don't, I don't know if that's familiar to people. It's one of the classics. It's written by a guy called Leo Tolstoy. Uh, I see a few heads, heads nodding. Great, great. Two people have read it, so that's good. Um, he's a guy who's um, a 19th century writer. And he gives us a sort of insight into uh, 19th century high society Russian life. Uh, these are characters who are very fascinating as you read because they've got everything, as, you can, as, as far as you can tell anyway. They get to go on holidays in Europe in the 19th century. They, they've got chauffeured carriages. They've got mansions. They have everything they could possibly need. But as you read the story, it becomes very fascinating because at some level, each of the main characters is deeply dissatisfied. And none less than the main character, Anna Karenina, and Vronsky, a young man, a young aristocrat who's in love with her, uh, he can't bear the thought of not being with Anna, despite the fact that she's got uh, a young son and is married. And at one point, he confronts her about his love for her, and he says this. She comes on the screen. He says, I cannot think about you and about myself separately. I do not see before us a possibility of peace, either for me or for you. I see the possibility of despair, misfortune, or of happiness. What happiness? Is it, is it impossible? Now, is that right? Oh, gosh, come on. This guy's a bit intense, isn't he? Like, you wouldn't want him as your boyfriend. Like, if he's saying that every time he meets you, you're like, like that, can't, that can't carry on. But before we dismiss him as a hopeless romantic, don't we all, at some level, maybe it's not romance, maybe it's not a relationship, but at some level, don't we all have this longing, this desire, for something more. This sense that there ought to be more. Uh, one writer, a guy called Joshua Chatter, a Christian writer, put it this way. He says this, he says that modern people seek, for the most part, to be content 
if they merely have the right relationships and experiences, and they will confidently tell you so. But despite such means that late moderns create for themselves, they still have their moments. You see what it's saying there? For most of us, we tend to try to look for satisfaction either in experiences or in relationships. I don't know if you remember Ash Barty um, last year, the, the world number one female tennis player. Um, last year, it was, it was really fascinating. She made this shock announcement. She was only 25, world number one, and she announced that she was retiring from tennis. And I, I couldn't get over this. I had to go and read up about it. I had to find what, what was going on. And in some in an article, she gives some reasons why she retired. And she says this in one of her articles. Just listen to what she says. She says, having more free time will open doors in terms of being able to travel to indigenous communities, which is something I really treasure. And she goes on, spending time with my nieces and nephew, as well as my sisters, is something I've loved being able to do, and I'm looking forward to spending so much more time with them. Now, those are great things, isn't it? Those are brilliant things. But you see what's going on there? Even, even being a world number one tennis champ cannot ultimately satisfy. We'll always be looking for the next experience, the next relationship. There's this hunger for something more. And so the, the choice facing us this morning as we gather here at HEC is this. Will we keep reaching for the same fragile, self-created attempt at satisfaction? Or might we reach out this morning for food that can really satisfy the soul? Now, as you know, we're going through a series of sermons in the mornings called Food for the Soul in Luke's Gospel. And we're going through these meals with Jesus. And as we come to this meal this morning, what we see is a meal that satisfies. I hope you have Luke chapter 9 open. You're going to need to keep looking at that as we go through. But in Luke chapter 9, what is going on is Jesus has just, uh, before this passage, sent his disciples on a preaching tour of Galilee, northern Israel. And I tell you, people have not seen this sort of power for centuries in Israel. There's stuff happening everywhere the disciples go. He's giving them power, and they're driving out evil spirits. They're, they're healing people supernaturally. And everyone is saying, what is going on? People are starting to think, okay, maybe, maybe one of the prophets has come back to life from the dead. Maybe Elijah is walking around again in Israel. He's one of the true greats. And so people cannot get enough of Jesus and his disciples. Everyone wants a piece of them. You know, they're trying to rest, but they can't. They're having a busier week than the Conservative Party have had this last week. And, and as they go around, they're trying to get some time to themselves. They go to Bethsaida to get some quiet time. But lo and behold, the crowd hears where they are and follows them. And they come to Jesus. And what we see is this, that Jesus gives them a meal that satisfies and we're going to see two things through this meal. We're going to see that Jesus provides the life that we need. And Jesus empowers us to feed others. First thing, then, Jesus provides the life that we need. Now, for many of us, we'll be familiar with this story, won't we? This is Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a classic you know, children's Sunday school story that we've all heard, or many of us have heard anyway. Uh, but I do want to say to you this morning, try to suspend your familiarity with this story. Do you do get rid of the children's Bible kind of images? Because Luke, who writes this story in his gospel, claims to be writing eyewitness history. 
He tells us it can be placed to a real time, the reign of Tiberius, emperor of Rome. He tells us it can be placed to a real place, the shores of Lake Galilee in northern Israel. And so if you had been there, you could get out your, your camcorder, your smartphone, and you could video what was going on. And I tell you, what you record would look like an episode from the Twilight Zone. Just, just imagine the disciples going around with these baskets and going to these groups of 50 men and their wives and kids and then giving out loaf after loaf, a fillet after fillet, no saveloy, just fillet to fish. And, and just imagine, as they do this, they keep looking down and the baskets are still full. Imagine, imagine the fear. Imagine the wonder, the amazement. Imagine as they, they see Jesus bending the fabric of space-time right before their eyes. Now, you might think, well, maybe they just cut the bread into communion-sized pieces for these 5,000 people, right? But verse 17, what does it say? Everyone ate and was satisfied. You know, and like the best kind of meal, they even had little doggy bags to take home afterwards. Twelve baskets full left over. Someone once said this, that the miracles of Jesus are acted out parables. They're acted out parables. What he means is this, is that the events are not an end in themselves. As Jesus does this, he's trying to point us to something true about himself. It's like C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer, once said, we need to let our minds run up the sunbeam to the sun. And you see, the sunbeam in this event points to a son who provides us with the life that we need. And we see this in how Jesus treats those who come to him. Verse 11, they come to him, and what does he do? He welcomes them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He healed those who needed healing. It's amazing. You see, Jesus doesn't shoo us away. He doesn't say, get lost. When we come to him hungry, and longing for satisfaction, he welcomes us. And he reckons we need two things. Did you see those two things? He reckons that our souls need satisfying with his words. He speaks to them. And he reckons our bodies need satisfying with his healing. Our souls need satisfying with his words. You see, look, Jesus looks out at us today, this morning, and he sees into the soul. He sees us as we are. And he knows that we need healing. He knows that we need soul satisfying. He, he sees us and he sees our consciences troubled before God. Maybe by those wrong places we've looked for satisfaction. He sees all the skeletons we try to hide from others. Maybe that we're trying to hide even now and this morning as we come to church. He sees into the heart and, and he, sees, he sees my relationships fought by by self-centeredness. And he says, come. Come, I want to speak to you. I want to speak to you the words of my kingdom, the, the good news of the gospel. Come, I, I've, I've made a way. I've made forgiveness possible. I've gone to the cross and I've paid the price. So come. Come, let me satisfy your soul with my words. See, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. 
The old is gone and the new has come. And so Jesus says, come, let me satisfy you with new life. Let me restore your soul. So will you come to him? Will you receive new life? Will you be satisfied afresh? Jesus reckons our bodies need satisfying with his healing. Now, you only need to get to 30. You don't need to be old. You just need to get to 30 to realize that this body ain't what it should be, right? I, you know, when I was in my 20s, I would go out for a run, you know, run 10K, play football, not stretch. I do that now. I can't walk straight for days. <laughs> and, and so this, this body's broken. <laughs> it's not what it should be. Now, of course, many people do pray for healing in this life and receive it, and we praise God for that. But actually, we do know that we're all heading in one direction, don't we? We're only heading one way. And Jesus knows this, and he wants to heal this. He wants to do something about this. And so this miracle is not just an accident. It, it actually echoes a parallels in Old Testament events. You might know the story of Moses in the desert with Israel. And, and Moses, just like Jesus in the Old Testament, he miraculously fed a crowd with manna, a, a sort of bread from heaven, and they were satisfied. And Jesus does this miracle deliberately, and he compares himself with what Moses did. And he tells us this in John chapter 6, a different gospel. He says, this is how I compare with what Moses did. Fascinating. Look at these words. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread, me, Jesus, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Praise God. Jesus wants to satisfy your body with eternal life. You see, Jesus, when he, when he died, when he went to the grave, he came out the other side. And he says, if you trust in me, I will give you life. You know, I found this to be such a satisfying way to live. It means if, if, if eternal life is coming, I do not need to be anxious. I, I don't need to try to experience everything now before I run out of time. I don't need to be anxious about achieving everything now. I don't need to be anxious about seeing and knowing everyone now. I can be satisfied with today because I know I have eternity tomorrow. So will you come to him and receive eternal life? You see, it might be that as I've been explaining these things, there are things in your mind. Jesus has been putting his finger, perhaps in some area of your life, where you're, you're longing for satisfaction. Maybe you're looking for satisfaction somewhere. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, come back to me. Come to me and be satisfied. And so I just want to actually just give us a pause, just to, to maybe do business with God, just to say something appropriate to Jesus even right now, where we're sat in our hearts, I'm just going to give us 30 seconds, and it might be that there's something you just want to say to, to him about how he's putting his finger in the area of life. So let's do that now.
Now, I know that's not loads of time, but um, do keep praying uh, by yourself with one another. Uh, afterwards, there'll be time to come and pray as well at the front after the service. Uh, but we're going to continue. And, and I want to say this to you. This, it'll be great. I could just stop where I just, where I just stopped, right? That could be it. That would be good enough to know that Jesus wants to satisfy us with life, with new life, with eternal life. But there's more. Jesus has more for us. Not only does he want to give us this life, this satisfaction, he wants to use you. He wants to empower you to feed others with this life. Isn't that amazing? This is what we're going to see next. Jesus empowers us to feed others. Now, some of you might know Anthony Buck. He's, a, he's an ordinand here. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of listening to him speak uh, at Alpha. And he, I can't remember what exactly he was saying, but it, well, he probably doesn't like that. But he, he had this point. He said this, that um, Jesus is so cheeky. He had that little phrase, and I thought, that's a great phrase. Jesus is so cheeky. And I think we see that in the Bible over and over again, don't we? And we see it here. The disciples, verse 12, what are they doing? They're saying, Jesus, look, send away these freeloaders. Just let us rest. And Jesus says to them, verse 13, you give them something to eat. And they must have taken a double take, like, what? But Jesus is being cheeky. He's being cheeky. He's, he's trying to test them, trying to see their response to this request. Would they ask him for help, for power to do the impossible? But they're trying to solve it themselves. How much bread do we have? They don't get it. Oh, but Jesus is kind, isn't he? He's patient, because what does he do? He, he shows them the right way. Verse 16 after taking the bread, giving thanks and breaking it, he says what? He says to them, here you go. He gave it to them to distribute. Oh, how Jesus calls us to so much more. How he calls us to be his hands and his feet, to be used by him to feed others with his life. You see, Jesus says to you, you get to share me with the mums at toddler group. You get to pray with and for your struggling Christian friend in your, in your connect group. You get to feed others with the life that I've given to you. Isn't that amazing? What could be more satisfying than to bring life to others? But here's the crucial bit. You cannot do it in your own strength. Jesus has to empower you. He has to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be his hands and his feet, to feed others with the life that he gives. And this is what he says in the Bible. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Now, I'm still fairly new here to the team, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really loving being here as part of the team at HEC. And one of the reasons for that is I'm really learning from others here what dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit looks like. And, and one of the things I'm learning practically that this looks like is it will mean putting prayer before activity. Now, I remember... A, a you know, when I first started to come here, Jago invited me to one of the Wednesday morning staff meetings. And, you know, I turned up that Wednesday morning with my bag, my laptop inside, um, you know, ready for a meeting. And at this staff meeting, what do, we, what do we do? It's an hour of prayer and worship. That's the staff meeting. 
And that's, I just found that so amazing. See, because actually, on a practical level, that's going to mean there's going to be some cost, right? People don't get to spend as much time planning and strategizing and ticking off lists because they're depending on Jesus' power. And, you know, I really see Jesus blessing this church as they depend on him. I've had the privilege of being part of Alpha on Tuesday evenings. And, and I tell you, it's like, it's like something's in the water at Alpha. <laughs> and it's like, what's going on? It's the first time I've, I've been part of a course like that where the numbers have gone up, not down, after the first few weeks. Uh, we're now in week six, and, and people don't want it to stop. You know, the groups are trying to organize by themselves to keep meeting up, to keep asking questions and exploring Jesus. How amazing is that? What could be more satisfying than that, than being used to bring life to others? And so as you listen this morning, it might be that Jesus is saying to you, in some way, I would love for you to go and feed others. I would love for you to to be empowered by me, to to, to bring life to others. And And you may be thinking of some area of church life or outside of church where you're wanting to bring life to others. And so here's the question. Will you depend on Jesus' power as you seek to do that? Will you, will you put prayer before activity? This Jesus wants to satisfy you deeply. Jesus, he wants, to, he wants to provide you with a life that you need. And not only does he want to do that, he wants to empower you to be satisfied by feeding others with this life. Let me pray for us as we come to a close. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for for who you are to us. We thank you so much that you you desire to fill us with life, with life that satisfies us deeply. We praise you so much that you you give us new life to satisfy that longing to be put right with God. We thank you that you, you wipe away our sins with your words, that you speak to us those healing words of the gospel. And you make us new. You restore us. You give us clean consciences before God and freedom from the opinion of others. We praise you so much that you give to us eternal life which satisfies deeply both now and in the life to come. We praise you so much that as if that weren't enough, you want us to be so deeply satisfied by being used by you to feed others with the life that you give. And so we pray that as we respond to this message today, that we would come to you and be satisfied afresh, or maybe for the first time. Please would you help us to respond rightly to what we've heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.